Everything takes longer. Stick with it, especially if you're in SaaS. You'll get great compounding effects. He's where he likes to be. He doesn't like the first zero to 20K. Now doing over a million bucks a month in revenue, making a big shift in the beginning on your onboarding plan, moving from a credit card up front to, hey, let's focus on asking questions first, do gradual engagement, and then customize experiences. And he thinks that will help long-term with churn. We'll see what happens. Again, rebrand going well, Seva, as he looks to build something that's less about, hey, just sell, 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 and more about, hey, build a great experience experience for all your customers. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Nathan Barry. He, uh, in a previous career, he's been a designer, author, and blogger. And after learning the power of email marketing, he gave up a successful blogging career to build a company called ConvertKit, which you may be familiar with. That has now changed to a new name. I'll let Nathan do the reveal on that. But outside of work, he enjoys playing soccer, woodworking, and chasing after his two little ones up there in Boise, Idaho. Nathan, are you ready to take us to the top? I am. Let's do it. All right. So first things first, it was a big thing on social after your, after your conference craft and commerce, what's the new name and why the change? Yeah. So we changed the name from ConvertKit to Seva and Seva is a Sanskrit word and it means selfless service. And, uh, basically we're trying to build a much bigger brand and we didn't want to be, I guess, pigeonholed into a really techie sounding name like ConvertKit kind of sounds like a WordPress plugin. And then also if you're if you're out there serving your audience and then you know you're delivering the best content, growing your audience, really serving them, then ConvertKit as a name sounds really salesy. And it sounds like, you know, you're trying to put them through a funnel and you're trying to sell them. And uh, we want customers who have the other approach and they're trying to, you know, build the best content on the web and really invest in their community. Yeah. And it's doing well. You've passed, I believe about one point so one point oh seven million in monthly revenue over a 12 million run rate. Uh, you, you, you're really public with your metrics. I think 6.5% kind of monthly churn. Are those all accurate? Yep. Those that, are all accurate. That's great. So let's dive kind of, okay. So I want to get more, a little, a little bit of a backstory here, but I don't want to spend too much time there because people can go listen to the first interview. But last time you were on, which I believe was about uh, 13 months ago, you were doing about 650 or 700 grand a month. So the growth is really healthy. Where are most of the new customers coming from? Or is the growth coming from you driving expansion revenue across the current base? Yeah. Expansion revenue definitely helps, but it, it hasn't been enough to get us to you know, net negative churn, which is the ultimate goal. Um, so it, it cuts our, our churn rate in half. Um, but you know, we still have to drive a lot of new revenue. Um, it comes from three major buckets. Um, of one third would be affiliate revenue. So that's us doing webinars. We've got a three person team that handles that, you know, scheduling, booking the webinars, all the logistics, and then actually teaching them. And we do about 15 webinars a month. Uh, with different partners. And how are those, um, if you don't mind asking, how are those roles split up? Is like one person the initial reach out, one is the like set up the landing page and send them the emails to send out, and then the third is the actual instructor? Yep, that's exactly right. Okay. So it's uh, relationship, um, 
teaching the webinar. And then there's just so much behind the scenes of, you know, landing page, swipe copy, logistics, all of that. And that's what the third person does. And um, you said 15 so a month. Yeah. Yeah. We tend to average 15 a month. And those range from really big ones with someone like Pat Flynn that will drive you know, 500 trials or something like that, which is pretty substantial. Um, and, or we'll do smaller ones that will drive 30, 40 trials. Um, and that's still a good way to go. Um, the next big bucket would be, you know, kind of all of our organic, you know, the, uh, the marketing site, the blog, the content marketing, and that drives about a third. Um, and then the remainder would be like pure word of mouth, like the, all of the referrals that don't, come through, uh, the affiliate program, you know, people just hearing about the brand signing up and that's still, you know, that's the hardest one to track where it falls into other buckets. You're trying to track it down. Um, but that's generally the breakdown. Okay. And, and give me a general sense of how many new customers or how many new trials per month are you at today in terms of signing up and then how many of those are converting to paid customers. Yes. Yeah, so we're right in the middle of changing all of this. Um, we switched from credit card upfront on our trials, which we've always done Yep. to credit card after the trial ends. And so you're catching me right in the middle of me trying to figure out if this is a good idea or if we just screwed our growth or what. Well, this is a, then this uh, is going to be a beautiful conversation. So so let me let me go back. How let's start with the first version. How was that working? What what was the performance? Yeah, so we were running uh, a few thousand trials a month. Uh, it fluctuated qu- quite a bit, right? Because if we had a big webinar month, that might drive an extra thousand trials. So you're looking at a fifty percent lift over you know, another month. Um, but we were running about a 52 to 55% trial of paid conversion rate with credit card upfront. Um, so it's basically you get on a 14 or 30 day trial, um, depending on the offer. And then you end up paying for that first month. Yep. But they Um, all, all those trials have to put their credit card at the beginning. They're not charged anything though, right? Correct. Okay. And then you're saying 40 to 50% of them at the end of that trial would actually move into whatever your 50, 60, $70 per month plan. Yeah, and it, it was um, fifty to sixty percent. Fifty, okay, sorry, fifty uh, to sixty. Okay. So yeah. why change, Nate? People now, listening are going, oh, "Wait, this sounds great. I would kill for these numbers. Why is he changing?" Yeah, um, <laughs> I I asked myself that as well. Um, so we wanted to see, you know, you you always want to test and experiment and really work on your funnel. We we thought that a lot of people were signing up and we were getting conversions purely because people forgot to cancel, and so then the churn down the road was higher. And so we wanted to see, can we build a better funnel here? You look at uh, Squarespace, um, a bunch of other great brands, and they all do it credit card at the end of the trial, right? And that's, so it's a, it's a tried and true method uh, on different brands. We wanted to try it for ourselves. And we knew that we needed to make our onboarding a lot better for that to work. So we spent the last four or five months really diving in, trying to improve all of that, finding problems, getting a lot better metrics in place. Like so what, had, name some of those metrics you felt you had to get in place to get the onboarding better. Yeah. So we started asking, we rolled out a tool called Amplitude. Um, so we can track all of these events uh, across all, you know, everyone who's signing up. Um, and we switched our signup flow so that we started asking questions first. So we would ask, hey, are you brand new or are you switching from another provider? I'm switching. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, what provider are you switching from? You know, uh, how many subscribers do you have? So we're collecting all of that. Uh, there's a user experience principle called gradual engagement. And basically what it is, is uh, if you can get people to make a bunch of simple, quick clicks, they'll get more invested before you ask for meaningful information like email address, 
you know, or information to sign up for an account. Um, so we, we did that. The other flip side would be if you're brand new, it'll ask you, do you have a website yet? Um, you know, if they say yes, okay, is it Squarespace, WordPress, Wix, whatever. So now what we can do is we can start to break out cohorts instead of just looking at the overall trial to paid conversion rate, we can start to break it down based on, oh, the people who are total beginners, don't even have a website, don't have a single email subscriber, no surprise that they're churning. But then we can, you know, see that, ooh, okay, people with 5,000 subscribers moving over from MailChimp, maybe they're churning at a higher rate than we want. So basically that was turning the funnel on its head, trying to get much better analytics on that. Um, I would say that initially the experiment, we have much better data. Is it, is it um, live or is it, it's not live yet? Oh, it, it's, a, it's all live. It's been live uh, for about a month and a half. And we've had our worst month of growth ever uh-huh. in June. And, and, and well, I was going to say, okay, before we, that's going to be the cliffhanger here for a second. Most people <laughs> listening to the switch you just articulated, I imagine their board meeting debates around that change would sound something like this. But if we ask a bunch of questions up front, they're going to drop off and they're not going to answer all the questions. And then we should have just got their email so we could re-engage them. That would have been so much smarter. And, but, but you're arguing long-term activating them in the trial period with actual usage metrics, which I'm sure you're, you're trying to figure out what those are is way more powerful in terms of lifetime value and stickiness. Is that accurate? Yeah. And I'm also arguing that the, and this is a big internal debate The asking the questions will not decrease the number of people that make it from, uh, you know, account signup page to create an account. Has it in the first month? Um, so that has actually worked out. Oh, great. Uh, it turns out gradual engagement in our case works. Yep. Um, it, it did not decrease that, the conversion rate for those steps. So try um, just to make sure I, I make sure I understand that. So trials are still the number of new trials on both the first test and the second are about the same. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, though once we, the, the other test is getting rid of credit card up front and that has increased the number of trials substantially. By how much? Though not enough. I don't have that number. In front okay. Of me. Um, but it's also hard because it's skewed so much by the other promotions. So like this, uh, I think the month of June, we're at 5,200 trials. Um, so that's substantial way better. I think our best month ever before that was in the 3000 range. Yep. Um, but it's still not enough to make up for the, the lower number of people adding a credit card. Do you directly attribute that 5,200 trials, which was your best month ever? Do you directly attribute that to the fact that there is no friction in terms of a credit card on the first step? Yeah. So I think that's the reason that it's higher. Um, but again, it's not enough higher that, uh, that the math checks out, but then you have to wait even further down the line and see, well, maybe churn is significantly lower on these people since they made much more of a conscious decision to purchase. Um, and so that's why when running these experiments, you're having to wait in, in some cases months to know if it's working. Yep. And so it, it's a little painful and expensive. 
As you guys know, the task management space and team communication market is extremely hot. We've had many of the folks in the space on, but most recently, Asana raised about $50 million, giving it about a $1.5 billion valuation, up from $900 million bucks in its last round. So naturally, I'm going to try out Asana and see why it's different from some of the other players, and some things stand out immediately. First off, this thing essentially has replaced email and a few other forms of communication I use to launch Latka magazine. I was able to do it all inside of Asana, whether it's bringing in my developer who built the landing page for the magazine or my writers who write for the magazine or my designers who design the magazine and even the printers, they're all able to easily use Asana, which is rare. Usually there's kind of a different tool for a different area of kind of specialty. So having everyone in one spot made the magazine very efficient. We're now shipping over 10,000 magazines per month out to B2B SaaS CEOs could not have done it without Asana and the ability they've built for me to do all this work in one place. It doesn't surprise me why the valuation is $1.5 billion. The question is now is, do they decide to go public in 2019? We'll see. But in the meantime, give your team everything they need to be more productive and focus on the work that grows your business. Try Asana free for 30 days. You can get started now at NathanLatka.com forward slash Asana. That's NathanLatka.com forward slash A-S-A-N-A. If I'm listening to this interview right now, the second thing I'm thinking is, it's great Nathan's asking all these questions. Wow, that's powerful. But is he then creating 7,000 different onboarding process depending on what combination of questions people pick, like new user, Squarespace site, five people on my email list versus you know switching from whatever company, blah, blah, blah. I mean, how do you how do you actually use that data on the onboarding in a scalable way? And are you using any software tools to help you do that at, at scale? Yeah, so it's all custom coded. Um, it's probably ends up being about 25 to 30 different variations, but they're pretty small tweaks. So it, it's a manageable number. Okay. Um, and it's things like if you put in, you have over 5,000 subscribers, then that al- alerts our, uh, demo team. And it tries to get you to schedule a demo and we're following up with you. Right. Cause then we, you're raising your hand saying, Hey, I'm a lead that you should pay attention to. I see. Um, and then there's other little tweaks down the road. So like the emails that we send, um, if you're using WordPress, are going to talk about uh, setting up our WordPress plugin rather than like, here's how to embed a form in Squarespace. Interesting. Okay, good. So so there's three or four things like that. One helps your sales team under prioritize, right? Hey, I have 5,000. Yep. The other is like, hey, you're a WordPress thing. Well, here's that tutorial, right? You should start there. And then maybe there's three or four other kind of variants like that. Yep. I see. I see. Okay. So the first month doesn't go so hot. Your internal team, you can see their eyes going, is Nathan going to flinch? Is he going to stick with it? How do you convince folks to stick with it? Uh, Can saying, Hey, we need a bigger sample size here. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is knowing, like making a decision, are we still learning or have we learned everything there is to learn on this? And up until this point, we're still learning. We're making tweaks. It's highlighting problems at specific parts of the funnel. Whereas before we looked at the funnel as a whole. And so now we're seeing, okay, um, like we found a problem that a lot of these trials, you know, tons of new trials, but a lot of them weren't coming back a second day. Like they weren't logging in a second time. So that's a significant problem. And if we were looking at the funnel as a whole, we wouldn't have noticed that. Yep. Um, and so then we can fix that and, and go from there. <laughs> 
Are there, yeah, that's a great first step, right? So, so I mean, I'll also say of all these interviews that I've done, the, a lot of companies start off exactly like how you did, which was kind of the whole credit card upfront thing. And, and they know that they're getting a little extra lift by people that just forget. And then at some point you realize, Ooh, right. that's good to start. But like, if I want to build a real company, I don't want to rely on people forgetting about the card. Let me actually get them addicted to the product. And then they switch and they do what you do. I mean, you're, you're on yep. the same track. So the next big question is like, what should I, what are the activation metrics that most directly correlate to them putting in the card and signing up for pricing? And I imagine for you, do you know what those are yet? Is it actually embedding the form on the, on the site, like getting their first 10 subscribers? What, what are those things? Yeah, it's exactly those two things. So really them getting visits to a form. So it's one thing to like, I made a form great, but if you didn't get anyone to visit it or, and then subscribe to it, that tells us you didn't, you didn't promote it anywhere or put it on your site. And so um, that's the first thing where we always look, yep. you know, let's get them to get a form on their website and then let's get them to get a handful of subscribers. Or if they said they like, this is great that we have this data now. If in sign up they said they have 2000 subscribers. Now we know that our, our single goal is to get them to import those subscribers. Mm-hmm. And so it can totally change the activation metrics based on who they are. That's interesting. Okay, good. Talk to me about, about team growth. I, I think I've seen you hiring a ton. So uh, what are you at today in terms of total team size? Yeah, we're at 37 on okay. the team. Okay. And where were you about a year ago? Well, that's Remember? a good question. Think Probably you're... 30. Okay, good. Somewhere like, uh, upper twenties. The reason I ask is because you're in a, you're in a unique, well, there's a lot of stuff happening by the way, like in Idaho, Silicon Slopes, that kind of area. But I mean, are you finding it difficult to hire people? Where are you finding these folks? Yeah, so our team's totally remote. We're 37 people in 24 cities. And so uh, we do not have a hiring problem. Every position that we put out has three to 600 applicants. Um, you know, remote is a huge, huge advantage. On mm-hmm. that. Are they mostly customers or people that have signed up for a trial? They just, they love you. They love your content. Uh, there's definitely some of that less on the engineering side. Okay. Um, but a lot of the, actually the engineers that we hire, I guess, they may not be customers, but they've followed our story all the way along because we've been public about numbers. We've, you know, like there's a blog post on my site being like, yeah, we hit 5,000 a month in revenue. And so we have engineers joining our team who have followed us on Hacker News or um, <laughs> places like that since then. And so then they're, they're thrilled to join the company. This is the argument for being transparent with the numbers, right? Um, talk to me about, about other, uh, kind of paid acquisition channels. I know you mentioned kind of three growth drivers earlier in the form of affiliates content and kind of word of mouth. Are you doing any direct paid stuff? We do some, I think our, our paid ad ads budgets about 20 to 25,000 a month. Okay. So out of a million total in monthly revenue, it's a pretty small chunk. Um, we've been targeting a three to five month payback period. And we're, we do okay at hitting that. It's better than before, but it's not le- at the level of, hey, let's let's dump money on this, you know? Yeah, um, and you're at a fi- about a $55 RPU right now, right? So a five-month payback yeah. would be, you know, call it 250 280 bucks, something like that. Yeah, and we're really trying to sit in that three- to five-month range with five being the top end. Yep. So I don't know if we need to increase our tolerance there. You know, I, I've talked to other founders who are like, what are you doing? Five months is great. Like, spend a whole, you know. Well, you're still boot, you're bootstrapped though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are those founders funded? Yeah. Well, of course, right? <laughs> they're playing with other people's money, right? And and then they it hits them in the form of dilution. Um, yeah. So so let's switch that here for a second. So you like the bootstrap mode? I mean, would you ever raise capital? Are you considering raising capital now or no? I'm not considering raising capital. So um, we've gotten to this point without capital, and now 
we can basically fund whatever project we want. Um, and so I like having complete control and I like having, you know, no one's putting us on a timeline for an exit. We're able to grow at the rate that we want. And, uh, I think the, the biggest thing is I'm not looking to sell and cash out. Uh, I, everyone says that, but they're like, but you know, they're having private equity conversations on the side or whatever else. Um, but I don't have another product that I want to start or the next thing. And I actually don't like the early stage, like the zero to 25 K 50 K MRR. Like that's painful. Yeah. And so, um, I want to be running Seva for the next 10, 15 years. And so, you know, raising capital doesn't exactly align with that. Yeah. Well, Seva, it sounds like it's doing well. I have one last question before we wrap up. Where do you get a four letter domain name? <clears throat> Sorry, a four, a four, yeah, a four letter domain name like that. Was this something that you, you bought ages ago and it was in your GoDaddy account? No, uh, I wish that would have been less expensive. Um, but I bought it about two and a half months ago. Ah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> we paid $310,000 for it. Okay. That's actually, that's not horrible for a pronounceable <laughs> four-letter domain name. What did that negotiation like sound like? Did you reach out yourself or go through a broker or what? We went through a broker. Uh, it was owned by a, a company that has tens of thousands of premium domains. They're one of the biggest in the market a company called venture.com. Okay. Um, and they wanted to lease us the domain. That's their business model. And I was like, I'm not going to build a whole brand around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they were going to lease it for two grand a month, which that's super cheap. Uh, Could you so like a lease like, with an option to buy? They wouldn't do that. Yeah. And I was like, there's no way we're doing this. And so they stayed firm. Like we asked through a broker, hey, uh, what, what would the price be? And they said 500000 and they stayed completely firm at that. Um, and so like after a bunch of back and forth for like three or four weeks, we had them down to like 460,000. And I made a comment to my assistant like, wow, this is a frustrating negotiation. And she said, yeah, it must be frustrating to be negotiated like that. Like just implying that like, yes, they are 100% winning. winning in yeah. this negotiation. <laughs> this is as one-sided as it is. Well, if they, they, if they think you're in love with a domain and you and they feel like you have no other options and you're cooked. Yeah. And so we ended up going back and forth and they we got them to make some pretty big jumps down um, once it came down to the wire. And then we were basically like, hey, we'll go. Why though? What leverage did you use? Um, so the biggest thing was we were negotiating payment plans. And when we switched to say, hey, cash up front. Ah. Uh. Um, then so basically the end result was I will give you three hundred ten thousand all up front and I will wire you the money first thing tomorrow morning. Yep. Because at this point it was like you know four p.m. or something, and they were like, okay. Yep. And so it, it was weird where in two days it went from I don't know that this deal is going to happen. Yeah, and Nathan, I think that highlights such an important like thing in negotiations, which is there's a, a massive difference between like deal price and payment terms, right? Like there are people that you could you I buy your company for a million bucks, but if it's only a hundred grand cash up front and a nine hundred grand earnout over three years, you might be able to win that battle by saying, "Here's three hundred grand, all cash up front. I'll wire you tomorrow morning." Right, and I think people are expecting to get nickel and dime later. Like you agree on a price, and then they're changing it more, or there's other terms that you forgot to mention. And so when you say that, I'll wire you the money tomorrow morning, then it's like, oh no, we're serious and, and I could have a deal right now. Yep. Guys, very good. Nathan, let's, uh, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what is your favorite business book? 
Ooh, uh, I'm going to go with Anything You Want by Derek Sivers. Okay, number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Uh, I just spent some time with Mike McDermott from FreshBooks yesterday after Toronto. Super sharp guy. Um, he's probably the one I'm learning the most from. Yep. And if you guys want to listen to Mike's interview on the show, that was back in episode uh, 1260. Great interview there. A lot. There's a lot of stuff, by the way, happening up there in Canada, man. It's a good place to spend some time. Number three, what's your, besides your own, what's your favorite online tool for building the business? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't do a lot of e-commerce, but I've been into Shopify quite a bit lately because we're pushing into that world. And so that's the first one that came to mind. You mean you're, you're getting a lot of e-commerce brands starting to use ConvertKit for like lifecycle emails, cart abandonment, things like that. Yeah. And, uh, we've been building deeper integrations with them and I, I think of them cause I was just at their office yesterday. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, they're just great people and, and building a really solid product. All and right. I look at their, all their growth numbers cause they're insane. It is. It's incredible. Number four, how many hours of sleep are you getting every night? Uh, seven or eight. Seven or I, eight. I sleep. I sleep plenty. All right. And you said I'm married with two little ones, right? Yep. And how old are you, Nathan? I'm 28. 28. Last question. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? Um, I think that all of this is going to take longer than you think it will. I wasn't super impatient at 20, but, but you know, fairly impatient. And so just knowing that if you grind it out for years and you keep working in the same company, I had like a uh, build it, flip it, build the next thing kind of mentality. Um, and once that changed to, nope, this is what I'm doing five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, then you start to get the compounding effects of SaaS and it's just so much better. Guys, there you have it from Nathan. Everything takes longer. Stick with it, especially if you're in SaaS. You'll get great compounding effects. He's where he likes to be. He doesn't like the first zero to 20K. Now doing over a million bucks a month in revenue, making a big shift in the beginning on your onboarding plan, moving from a credit card up front to, hey, let's focus on asking questions first, do gradual engagement, and then customize experiences. And he thinks that will help long-term with churn. We'll see what happens. Again, rebrand going well, Seva, as he looks to build something that's less about, hey, just sell, sell sell and more about, hey, build a great experience for all your customers. Nathan Barry, thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks for having me.